0: Hi, I'm Jack, and this is Tuck In, We're Rolling, Queer Hollywood Stories. I know that I promised that this week we were going to talk about the sapphic holy trinity of Greta Garbo, Marlena Dietrich, and Katherine Hepburn, but I made a new discovery while I was digging through pride posts on Tumblr, and I thought that maybe instead of talking about some big names that everyone is already at least a little familiar with, I might put off talking about these actresses uh, to focus on someone behind the camera. You know, there isn't a whole lot of information about Golden Age lesbians and bisexual women, and I heard this name that I'd never heard before, and I thought, what the hell, let's talk about some more lesbians. So today, I'm going to introduce you to a woman named Dorothy Arzner. Maybe you've heard the name, and maybe you haven't, but she's a really important person. Uh, this is a woman who directed 16 movies, which is a run pretty comparable to men of the time and a lot more than most contemporary female directors um, over a career spanning from 1927 to 1943. This is the person who invented the boom mic while directing Paramount's first talkie, launched Catherine Hepburn and Lucille Ball, and did it all while whispers of affairs with the likes of Joan Crawford floating around. In short... Dorothy Arzner was a fucking badass, but that's not even half the story. Dorothy Arzner was born on January 3rd, 1897 in San Francisco. Her family moved to L.A. and her father opened up a restaurant that attracted a lot of Hollywood elite, which comes into play a little bit later. Arsner wanted to be a doctor, dead set on it so much that she went to the University of Southern California for it. And then when World War I broke out, she went overseas to drive ambulances. I guess the experience was kind of intense because she came back and said, you know, maybe being a doctor isn't for me. Let's, let's pause here for a second, though, and bask in the complete badassery. This is World War I. This is 1914 or thereabouts. And this woman is like, oh, I want to be a doctor and you're not going to make me be a nurse. This is a woman saying, fuck you, fuck this. I'm going to go drive fucking ambulances at the front during a major world conflict. I can't blame her for coming home and not wanting to be in medicine anymore. But what does she decide to do instead? Oh, just just become a director. No big deal. She wasn't a director at first, of course. Uh, but she wanted to become a director because, and this is a direct quote, If one was going to be in the movie business, one should be a director because he was the one who told everyone else what to do. So her father gets into contact with William C. DeMille, uh, who is the older brother of Cecil B. DeMille, uh, who got her a job at the Players Lasky Corporation, which we would all come to know and love as Paramount Pictures. Uh, She started out as a stenographer, typing up scripts, but she was a terrible typist, so they got her out of there pretty quick. Imagine being so bad at a job that they promote you just to stop you from pecking at a typewriter. I don't know about you, but that's kind of the life I want to live. Uh, So they had her writing scripts for a little while, and uh, then they got her into an editing room. And this is where she really starts to shine. So she edited a film called Blood and Sand in 1922, which starred our friend Rudolph Valentino. So while she's working on the film, she has the brilliant idea to use stock footage of bullfights to make the movie more believable and entertaining. And the director, a guy named James Cruz, is so impressed that he pulls her onto his permanent team and she goes on to edit over 50 films. So Arzner is trucking along with his editing career, but she's also starting to realize that maybe she doesn't want to edit forever. She wants to direct. So she goes to the heads of Paramount and she lays out her demands. Let her direct a film, or she's going to leave and take her talents to Columbia, who's basically their direct competitor. They were like, "Uh, okay, sure. At this point... um, she was already writing scripts for independent movie outfits, and they were causing a lot of buzz, so I'm sure Paramount was a little nervous that they could be losing out on a lot of money. Uh, This was still the time that studios were cranking out movies left and right, uh, turning over footage at a really crazy rate. Uh, Movies at the time were basically turned over weekly in the theaters, so the studios had to come up with stuff that was um, both long and short, and they needed a lot of it, and that required a lot of people to do it. So in 1927, Paramount hands Arsner the script for a movie called Fashions for Women. Um, it's a silent film, uh, kind, of a, kind of a screwball comedy about a cigarette girl who falls in love with a count and becomes a model. Uh, the movie does so well that they put her in charge of another movie, The Wild Party, starring Clara Bow. It's Paramount's first talkie, and it's a remake of a silent film that she had already edited. Um, again, I'm just going to pause so we can bask... Paramount Pictures gave their first talkie, and that's a thing that could make or break a studio back in those days, to a woman who had gotten her job by demanding that she be given it. Um, So the thing about the first talkies is that the actors couldn't really move around too much because they had to stand still in front of their microphones for the sound to be captured. Uh, it's. It was really obvious to Arzner that shooting this way was making Clara Bow act really awkwardly. So Arzner gets a hold of her sound guys and helps them rig up a microphone attached to a fishing rod so they could hold the mic up over Beau's head out of the shot and follow her around so that she could move and act without having to worry about being stuck in one place. And if that concept sounds familiar to you, it's because Dorothy Arsner invented the fucking boom mic. She didn't patent the idea, um, but everyone is pretty much in agreement that it's her innovation and they give her full credit for it. Uh, So another cool thing about Arzner directing the studio's first talkie is basically that all the male directors were like, whoa, post-production work on those things is way too intense. You know, it's just a lot of work. So we're just gonna sit back and let the lady deal with all the bullshit while we keep making silent movies. So, Not only did Arzner get her job by demanding it, but she took a job that no one else wanted and then invented the fucking boom mic while she was doing it. Could this lady get any more badass? I'm sure you know the answer to this. Of course she can. So The Wild Party is a pre-code film. Uh, It's a little raunchy and it's a little racy and it's set at a girls' college. Um, This becomes a theme with Arzner's films. Uh, she does a wild woman thing with girls misbehaving, um, even after the Hayes Code comes along and ruins everything. Claire Beau's star and her particular style started to fade with the coming of the 30s, so Paramount nudged Arzner into directing melodramas. So she did it, and she did it really, really well. In 1930, she directs a movie called Sarah and Son, and it gets actress Ruth Chatterton an Academy Award nomination. Uh, In 1931, we get Honor Among Lovers, and it has some big names in it. Frederick March, Claudette Colbert, Ginger Rogers. You know, Arsner really isn't messing around here. Uh, The plot's kind of hard to follow. I haven't seen the movie, um, but I read a few synopses. uh, But it's basically uh, what would have happened if Pepper Potts went to work for Justin Hammer and then tried to go back to Tony Stark after she realized that she was in love with him, uh, except it's all set during the stock market crash in 1929. The movie um, basically puts men on blast for being greedy. You know, all these guys running around um, trying to collect money and women, and and basically that's their downfall. Uh, and her movies were pretty popular. Um, the Wild Party was the... Th- 3rd top-grossing film of 1919, and they usually had strong female characters in them. Arzner had a way of directing women in films that showed them as real, complete, complex people, and the studios actually decided to capitalize on that. Uh, They advertised her movies as uh, women's romances made by a woman. Uh, She left Paramount in 1932 to freelance, and she really starts to take off from there, you know, since this was still the 30s and the 40s, the women in her movies usually ended up happily married by the end of the film, uh, but they were still an anomaly in Golden Age cinema. She liked to point out the unfairness of sexism and gender discrimination, and people, not too surprisingly, really loved it. Um, She directed Katharine Hepburn in Hepburn's second movie in 1933, a film called Christopher Strong. And this is the movie that we get all those really great images of Hepburn in pilot gear from. Um, I'm sure you might have seen some pictures. Uh, She plays a pilot who falls in love with a married politician. Uh, And apparently she and Arzner really got into it on the set quite a few times. Uh, I've seen some quotes talking about how Arzner was basically trolling around RKO. No, this is my favorite story. This is one of my, this is my second favorite uh, Catherine Hepburn story. So Dorothy Arzner is just wandering around the RKO lot, right? And she sees Catherine Hepburn up a tree wearing a leopard skin. And Arzner just kind of looks up at her and goes, oh my God. She's so hot. I can't let her be in a Tarzan movie. So she basically rescues Katharine Hepburn from a life of making B-movies. Um, and, and that's how basically how we got the strong, dramatic actress that is Katharine Hepburn. All because one lesbian was wandering around Howard Hughes' uh, set and was like, nope that's the woman. That's the woman for me. <laughs> um, we, we don't know if uh, Dorothy Arzner and Catherine Hepburn had a, an affair, but um, knowing what I know about Hepburn, uh, I, I think they did. Uh, so in 1936, she launches the career of Rosalind Russell in a movie called Craig's Wife. Um, if you're not familiar with Rosalind Russell, I really highly suggest watching her in His Girl Friday opposite Cary Grant. Um, it's a really funny screwball comedy, and Russell is such a fast talker, and she's super slick, and it's really great. Um, and we have Arzner to thank for having R- Russell at all, and not only that, but um, the, the the script for Craig's wife was originally, like, sleazy and gross. It was about, like, a husband fighting with his cold wife, and she turned it into a movie that was basically begging women to become their own people. Um, in the 1930s, um, we have a lot of talk about ours and her sexuality. She wore trousers and suspenders, and I'm not gonna lie, she looked really good doing it. And she apparently had an affair with Joan Crawford on the sets of The Bride Wore Red and The Last of Mrs. Shaney. Um, it's been described as a fiery affair, uh, but there apparently wasn't any ill will, because in the 60s and 70s, Arzner directed a bunch of Pepsi commercials with Crawford as a special favor. And in 1936, she became the first female director to join the Directors Guild of America. So then in 1940, she directs a movie called Dance Girl Dance, which is Lucille Ball's first on-screen performance. Um, it's a screwball comedy about two burlesque dancers that end up fighting each other over a man, and you know they're giving up their dreams to try and get with this guy. So Maureen O'Hara plays the other burlesque dancer, and she gives the audience a dressing down about gaping at her, and this is a character who has to perform to make her way in the world, and she's not ashamed of it. There's a lot of lesbian subtext in the movie, uh, like in most of Arzner's movies, Uh, you know, some sly glances, and the fact that uh, Ball and O'Hara's characters really obviously want to be together, but they misplace this desire uh, onto a man. Arzner directed her last film, First Comes Courage, in 1943. It's a pretty typical wartime story, except it's totally about a lesbian spy who runs away with a nurse after her husband dies. Um, It wasn't nearly as commercially successful as her older films, and Arzner was dealing with a pretty serious case of pneumonia at the time, and these are all kind of agreed-upon reasons why she didn't continue directing. Um, She made a few training films for the Women's Army Corps, uh, but after that, she was kind of done with feature films. Uh, Like I mentioned, she made some commercials with Joan Crawford, and she did some other commercial work. Uh, She also went on to teach film at UCLA, where she taught, get this... Francis Ford fucking Coppola. Uh, In the 70s, she told a reporter that Louis B. Mayer had killed her career by spreading word that she was, quote unquote, difficult. Which is, as far as I'm concerned and as far as I know, Louis B. Mayer's code for very, very gay. Uh, Arsner lived with her partner Marion Morgan for forty years. Um, I've found conflicting reports on whether or not Arsner was was out about it, but I think it's a pretty agreed upon fact that she was openly with Morgan, but not necessarily publicly out. Uh, Morgan was a dancer and a choreographer. Uh, she had a dance troupe called the Marion Morgan Dancers, which was mostly made up of women. Uh, they did a lot of vaudeville work, and then when they were hired, uh, then they were hired to do some dance sequences in Hollywood films. And Morgan did a lot of choreography for Arsner. They actually met on the set of *Fashions for Women*, which, if you will remember, was Arsner's first film. And they moved in together in 1930. Again, this is the last time I'm going to do it, but we got to pause and let this sink in. These two met and fell in love and decided to move in together in 1930. Uh, They lived together until Morgan died in 1971. But Arsner was apparently a gardener, and she gushed about the roses that they grew in their garden. And they had these beautiful parties and invited people like Marlena Dietrich. And Arsner might have had affairs uh, with people like Billy Burke and Alan Azimova, but she went home to Marion every night. Dorothy Arsner died in 1979 at the age of 82. And she left behind a legacy for the women that came after her. She was a prolific director, and she refused to live life on anyone else's terms. And, you know, not only that, but she was a great director. Not just a great female director, but a great director. You know, Dorothy Arzner gave us quality. And I think that if she was alive today to see Patty Jenkins' direct Wonder Woman... And if she was alive to see that movie today, I think she'd be very proud. Thank you for listening to Tuck In, We're Rolling, Queer Hollywood Stories. This episode was written, recorded, and researched by me, Jack Segretto. You can find a transcript of this episode and all of our episodes, along with some fun facts and photos, on our Tumblr, .tumblr tuckinpodcast.tumblr.com. You can also give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com tuckinpodcast. We accept messages on both of these platforms, so please feel free to shoot us any suggestions for show topics or comments you might have. We put out new episodes every Wednesday, and you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, so don't forget to rate and subscribe to us. I read all the comments that you leave me, and it makes me really happy. Um, special shout out this week to my buddy Ricky for listening and offering to come onto the show. I have not forgotten about that man and I'm coming for you. Happy pride month, everyone. Stay safe, have fun. And remember that pride started when two trans women of color threw bricks at cops. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.